Let us enter into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of everything about you, your power, your wisdom, your might, your genius, your love, your grace, your mercy. And we want to thank you and express our gratitude, particularly for your son, Jesus Christ, who was born of a woman, went to the cross on our behalf, bore our sins in his body, and died and was buried. And on the third day, you raised him from the dead, never to die again. And whoever believes in your son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior, will never perish, but already has eternal life. This morning, Father, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct all our thoughts and actions here as well as out there in the world, but especially here together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. We ask all of this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Let's now stand and we'll sing a song together. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, We will be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of our service today when we bring it to remembrance the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Title of today's message comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 30, I mean, chapter 12, verse 36. And it's walk while you have the light. Walk while you have the light. Let's read our passage. Please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, starting in verse 30. John, chapter 12, verse 30. One of these days I'm going to surprise you and start in the book of Leviticus. (laughs) Just for fun. No, try to make it easy. Verse by verse, John 12, verse 30. Jesus answered and said, this voice, the voice from heaven, God the Father speaking to Jesus about being glorified. This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now, judgment is upon this world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he should die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And so how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. So the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. Notice again this morning how Jesus starts to describe the events of this hour. He says the word now, and he says it twice. He's emphasizing that he wants everyone to know what he is about to accomplish now when his death and in the glory to follow. Please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 25. Luke, chapter 24, verse 25. Jesus is about to, of course, die on the cross, but after that, he will be glorified. As the book of Philippians says, one day every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And even in his ascension and session, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. 
And he talks about this after he rises from the dead to his disciples. Look at Luke chapter 24, verse 25. And notice here, he's going to connect it to the Old Testament. Notice Luke 24, verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. By the way, those words are just as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago. How slow of heart we are. How foolish that we don't believe everything in God's word. In any event, what did he ask them to believe now? Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer first on the cross, to suffer these things, and then to enter into his glory? In other words, the cross was the necessary path for Jesus as our Savior, that he could enter through the cross before he enters into glory. And in the mind of God, all those things together are the hour which has come, both his death and his subsequent glorification. Okay, let's go back to John chapter 12, and we'll pick things up this time in verse 31. John chapter 12, verse 31. Now, judgment is upon this world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. I want you to notice that in these two verses, Jesus describes four things that will happen now. Now meaning the hour which has come, the hour of his death and his resurrection and his glorification. His ascension. What are those four things? Well, the first one is the judgment of this world entirely. Again, this morning, we will see a definition of what the Bible means when, it, when it's, it, it's here in the Gospel of John, in particular, when it says this world. Okay, this world can mean several things in the Bible, but in this context, we're going to see exactly what it means. This world. That's the first thing. Now, judgment is upon this world. Now, when Jesus Christ is going to the cross, judgment is upon this world. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the casting out, the ruler of this world will be cast out. That's the second part of verse 31. That's the second end event that occurs at the cross. Now, the ruler of this world, that's Satan, the devil, will be cast out. We're going to see again this morning what that word cast out, two words, but in the Greek, cast out means. So, so far we have the world being dealt with. Then we have the ruler of this world being dealt with. And, and so he's, as it were, he's wiping out, he's judging. He's taking the power away from the world and from the ruler of this world. And we're going to see, of course, that the world and the ruler of this world, as we know, still exist. And we can still fall into the trap of allowing the ruler of this world to to convince us of things, to lie to us. But the difference is, on the basis of the death of Christ, we now always have the power to resist him. We need never fall into any of his traps, any of his deceptions. That is not true of the fallen world. Why? Because they don't have the word of God. They don't have the indwelling spirit, and therefore they're totally exposed to the wiles of the devil, totally exposed to the temptations and the lies of this world. We're not. We're not. Can we still fall into that? Yeah, we can. But, but essentially, that's our choice 
You see, we can either walk by means of the Spirit, or we can walk according to the lusts of the flesh. Unbelievers in the world cannot walk according to the Spirit because the Spirit doesn't dwell in them. Their only option for walking is walking according to the course of this world, walking according to the flesh. Verse 32. The third event is the central event. And that is, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, Jesus says, Jesus being lifted up from the earth is the third event, the central event. And this, of course, is referring to his death, as verse 33 will tell us. So the third thing, Jesus being lifted up from the earth. So what I want you to understand is this is a power-packed verse, two verses. There we have we have global things, all-encompassing things here. The whole world, the world that is, uh, is as we will see, uh, that the unbeliever is a part of, judged. The ruler of this world, cast out. The ruler of this world, of course, is the enemy of Christ, the enemy of God, the enemy of the church, but cast out. We'll see what that means. Then Jesus being lifted up from the earth. This is the this is the death of Christ. This is the one sacrifice for our sins. He's lifted up as a result of that. Now, as a result of, by the way, all three of these things, judgment of this world, casting out the ruler of this world, and then Jesus being lifted up from. From the earth. Jesus draws all men to himself. Notice that Jesus draws all men to himself. Again, a a total global, all-encompassing statement. He doesn't say some men. He doesn't say the Jews. He doesn't say the elect. He says all men to himself. Why? Because Jesus is the light that enlightens every man. Because Jesus died on the cross for everyone. Don't mistake, however, this drawing okay, of all men, to mean that every individual is saved. That is not true, unfortunately. Not because of God. He's not willing that anybody should perish. But as we'll see, every individual person can decide whether they're going to be drawn to the light or stay in the darkness. Not Jesus' fault. His death is all-encompassing. His sacrifice is for everybody. But everybody, of course, doesn't, as it were, take advantage of that sacrifice doesn't believe in the light, doesn't become a son of light. But that's not Jesus' fault. The world has been judged. The ruler of this world has been cast out. Jesus has been lifted up from the earth. Jesus draws all men, everybody, everybody you've ever met, everybody in your family, you and I are drawn. Now, they may not, they do not all respond to that drawing, but they are all drawn by Jesus to himself. All right, let's let's go back now. I think you're still there. Look at John 12, 31 again. We're going to go through these four events one at a time now and, and, and study a few things about what he's saying. And so we get the we get the richness that's here and expand our understanding of just how all encompassing these things he's saying in, in just two verses, how all encompassing they really are. John 12, 31. Now, judgment is upon this world. When Jesus is on the cross, it's the day of judgment for the whole world. Well, what is this world? Now, we know that it can't be all people, can it? Why is that? Because he who believes is not judged, right? But what does what does the world mean, this, this world mean in this context? It means the sphere of operations for fallen mankind, 
fallen mankind is operating in this world. And there's a sphere of operations. There's a, there's a, a way in which uh, fallen man does his thing, if I could put it in colloquial terms. And it's, it's, a, it's an organized thing. It's a sphere that has been organized specially to keep them blinded, right? as 2 Corinthians 4 says, right? the bl- blinding the minds of unbelievers. So in other words, the world system is that, that, that draws people into it, into its power. By means of the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. That's from 1 John 2, right? All right. The, the, the flesh is designed to capture people, right? To, why? To keep them under the rulership of this world, okay? dominated by those things. The lust of the eyes, that, that greed, that coveting, same thing, all right? And, of course, the boastful pride, right? That's the, that's the engine, of this world is the pride and the blindness of fallen man. So again, it's a sphere of operations, this world. It's not the planet. It's not everybody in the world, but it's the sphere of operations. It's the way in which fallen mankind operates and is and is kept in that prison of unbelief. Not that they can't leave it. They're by their own choice. They're staying there. The world is the sphere of operations for fallen mankind as it lives, notice, this is the key about this world, hostility to God. Every element of human existence and experience and activity, which is hostile to God, encompasses this world. Okay, Hostility to God. They knew him as God. They knew he existed, but they do not honor him as God. That's the world. As a result of that, right? In, in, in Romans 1, it's, it's really enlightening when Paul says, you know, the first thing that happened was they rejected God. Then they lived in unrighteousness. So we have to see the source of things. It's that hostility to God. As a result of that, now they do the works of Satan and the works of the flesh. And that all of that is the world. It is the, it is the, it is the sphere of operation. For all of fallen mankind, by the way, we were born into this world. We were born dead in our trespasses and sins. We can't we can't look down our noses at other people because if we were there ourselves, we indulge. We'll see the passage in a minute. We indulge the lust of the flesh ourselves. We walked according to the, the, the lines that Satan drew for us as well. But we were redeemed by the blood of the of Christ. And that, of course, makes all the difference. All right. Speaking of that verse, let's look at this now. Please go to Ephesians chapter two, verse one. Ephesians chapter two, verse one. I'll give you a moment to get there again. The point of this passage is that none of us all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have spent time in this world operating according to the principles of this fallen world under the leadership and domination of the God of this world, living in the lusts of our flesh, being arrogant and so forth. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And you were dead. That word were, of course, is a grace word. It's saying then, but now. Right. That's grace. Here's you. Okay, you could do nothing. You can't do any works to get out of the world. But you were that because now God has taken you 
out of the place of darkness into his own marvelous light. But there was a time when you and I were dead. Dead and notice in our trespasses and sins. Notice this. In which you formerly. What, what word is a formerly? What kind of word is that? Grace. It's a grace word, right? Well, what you used to be. Formerly walked. Notice we formerly walked according to the course of this world. This means that we walked, as Jesus is going to talk about in our passage today, in the darkness. We were there too. We're no strangers to that. The grace of God got us out of that by means of the blood of Christ. But there was a time when we walked according to the course of this world, a sphere of operations of fallen men, hostile to God. We were there. That walk was according to the prince of the power of the air. It's another term that's used to identify Satan. Satan. By the way, when we say, when Jesus says, and the Bible says that, that Satan is the, is the ruler of this world, remember, he's, he's the ruler of this sphere of operations of unbelievers. That, as it turns out, because Jesus the light has enlightened every man and the spirit convicts all of sin, righteousness, and judgment, okay, people choose to, it's so important to understand, they choose to stay in this sphere of operations of fallen man. They choose to stay in rebellion against God. All right. So again, we were there too. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's the world too. There's a spirit, but it's not the spirit of God. It's another spirit. And they're, they're, they're walking according to that spirit, now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse three, among them who the people that walked according to the for the prince of the power of the air, the people that walk according to the course of this world, we too all formerly. What kind of word is that? It's a grace word. Grace all over. Among them, we too also formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. We lived in there. Now, you might say, well, I'm st- I still feel the lusts of my flesh. I know I can still give in to them. Yeah, but you don't live according to them. You don't. If you're a believer in Christ, you do not live according to the lust of your flesh. Okay? You are no longer in the flesh, though the flesh is still in you. Why? Because, because of the spirit that indwells you, because of Jesus Christ that we're in union with, it's impossible for a believer to live. This is, in other words, your whole life, your whole dedication. You wake up, you eat, you sleep, this, right? The lust of the flesh. Believe me, this is the dangerous thing about this world. If you don't ever, they'll ever shake your head and say, how could this be when we look at the things of this world? It's real simple because they're, they're living according to the lusts of their flesh. And Paul talks about these things several times, right? Disobedience to parents, haters of men, desiring money, all those things. That's how the world lives. So don't be surprised when you run into an unbeliever and that's the way they treat you. That's who they are, folks. They live according to the lust of their flesh, anger, wanting things that are not supposed to be theirs. By the way, that's why we have wars. All right. There's no wars in heaven. Well, there is. Satan's still there fighting. But I mean, I mean, in the eternal state, in the kingdom, there won't be any war. Originally, there was no war in the garden. Right. Why is there war now? Because people live in the lust of their flesh. That no other reason. All right. Uh, Indulging the desires of the flesh and notice this and of the mind. That's important to understand, too, that the flesh has a mind. Okay, And so 
so it's a way of thinking. Okay, and there are those who indulge that also. All right, our minds, remember, need to be what renewed. Why is that? Because we were we used to think according to the flesh, the mind of the flesh. Now, now we are given the mind of Christ, but we have to be renewed in that. We have to do what we're doing this morning. We have to have the Word of God cleanse our mind, renew our minds. It's always the mind. If you notice in the scriptures, how does Satan go after people? He doesn't go after them, but how does he dominate them? How does he blind them? By getting into their mind, by getting into their mind and having them think a certain way. That's the blindness in how you think. Don't be arrogant. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. The way we were brought up, the way we thought as unbelievers, okay, that all has to go. And all of us carry that that mind was still there, right? We were redeemed, all right? But the mind was still there. It's one of the mysteries that we have to deal with while we're still on earth as human beings, you know? We have the mind of Christ now. So we can't live according to the mind of the flesh. But the residue of thinking is still there. That's why it has to be renewed. All right, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, we were by nature children of wrath. By nature, children of wrath. Why is that? Because we were born of Adam. Okay, so we are by nature children of wrath. That's why we have to be born again. Okay, so that we become new creation, even as the rest. But remember what we're seeing in our passage this morning. This world that we've now seen in some specifics, right? That's had its day of reckoning. It was judged. It was, in other words, God called it what it was. And, and, and condemned it to an end that would be obliteration. Now, again, it hasn't happened yet, but it will. Right? There'll be a day when there'll be no more world. Jesus, Jesus comes back, and then one day, well, then he has the kingdom. That world is not in the kingdom. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Right? There'll be, so in other words, there's a judgment of the world. Now, keep this in mind. This will help you understand why, the, why why is Satan still around? Why is the world still around? Well, because judgment is the verdict of guilt. Then there's the sentencing, and then there's the carrying out of the sentence. Okay, We're going to see in a minute that, that, uh, that uh, the Satan has been cast out. Okay, That's a judgment. That's a, that, we're going to see that's power taken away from him, authority taken away from him, but he's still here. As a matter of fact, the the complete punishment will not be carried out with Satan until after Jesus comes back, after he sets up his kingdom, after that kingdom has existed for a thousand years. And then after that, the, the completion of this judgment occurs when he's thrown into the lake of fire. All right. Just because God holds back on the execution of the penalty doesn't mean that you can wink at sin, that he winks at sin, right? God is not mocked, all right? But the, but the key point, the key moment is at the cross. That's where the judgment occurred for the world. That's a day of reckoning. Now, remember, because of that, right, and because of the fact that we are now new creations, all right, and that we are in, in, in the sphere of operations of Christ and of the Spirit, okay, now, we don't have to live at all according to the world. We do sometimes, and we don't have to. But this is why Paul could say what he does. Notice, please turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 14.
it's good for us to see these verses. So we can remind ourselves of what he means by the world. What happened, what really happened at the cross. It goes way beyond the forgiveness of our sins. Certainly that happened at the cross, but this goes way beyond that. The affects, cross affects everything. All right? The, the, every, all things in heaven and all things of earth have been reconciled to God on the basis of the blood of Christ. Right? So it's an all-encompassing event when Jesus dies on the cross. So that now, Paul and we too can join Paul. Notice 6.14 of Galatians. But may it never be that I should boast. There's the world arrogance. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he understood something. He understood what? Notice that through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That there is power now for us to not be subject to any of the influences of the world. There's power to it. This is, I got to keep saying this so that we don't get the wrong idea. Okay, because we can still fall into the lust of this world. We can still be be deceived by this world. I mean, as believers, we can, but we don't have to be because that because that that world has been judged and we have the power to resist at all times by means of the spirit. Walk by means of the spirit and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. But you know what that means? If you don't walk according to the spirit, guess what you will do? carry out the desires of the flesh we can still do that okay but we're not we're not totally dominated by that we're not ruled by that we're not mastered by that that's the key to understand all right but may it never be that i would boast except in the cross of our lord jesus christ through which through the cross the world has been crucified to me the power source has been cut and i to the world i meant Cut off. I've been circumcised against the world. Cut off from it. Jesus was not only victorious, though, over the world. He was victorious about all the forces of this world when he died on the cross. And that's why every believer in Christ has also overcome the world. If you want to talk about overcomers, you're talking about believers. First John makes this crystal clear. Okay. In other words, overcomers is not a special category of Christians, contrary to what a lot of people think. A lot of people think that once we believe in Christ, now we got to do all of these things so that we can be in that special class called overcomers. But that is not, that is far into the Bible. Okay. Every believer in Christ has already overcome the world. Why? Because everybody, everybody who's a believer in Christ when Christ died, we died on the cross, right? Cut off from the world. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Jesus was victorious over the world when he died on the cross. But now we come into the picture. Notice what is said about us. If you want to understand 1 John, all you got to do is open your Bible to the Gospel of John. It is, it is basically a reflection on. It is, it is basically what it really is, is, okay, there's the Gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed by John as well as Paul. And then the false teachers come in. You see, the world still tries to get in to our souls and into our churches, doing a pretty good job, may, may I say. They're called antichrists, not because they're 
you know, the beast that's going to devour the world. And no, an antichrist is real simple. Anyone who's against Christ, that's all it means. Anyone who's against what Christ did on the cross, the fact that he's God in human flesh. But 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 first John was written so that those who were about to be deceived by these false preachers wouldn't be. And so now it is a coming back to what they learned about the gospel, including in the gospel of John, because it's the same author, and reminding them of these things and and going over the, the, the same territory again. But what's, what you can do is put the two together. So we're going to do a little bit this morning. So it also helps you because it really is a commentary as well in the gospel of John. It helps you understand in some more detail some of the things that are mentioned briefly in the gospel of John. In any event, 1 John 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God, it says whatever because it's a new creation, it means us. Whatever is born of God, notice, overcomes the world. It doesn't say might, does it say overcomes the world if you do such and such and so and so? It does not. It's a simple statement. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. How did that happen? How did we have a victory over the world? Let's read the last part of verse four. This is the victory that has overcome the world. This is the this is how we became overcomers. Okay, we 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 didn't do something special to be a first class believer. It was real simple. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. In the same way that the cross is all encompassing, right? Faith is too. Now, what's great about that is what Paul just said. I can't boast in anything because all of this is by means of faith, just by believing in in what Christ has done for me. Nothing about what I've done for myself. But that's the victory. So God has set things up. When we believe in Christ, as it were, we receive all the benefits of what Christ accomplished on the cross. All of them. Who is the one who has overcome the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Can you see how that's a direct echo of the Gospel of John? How many times was John telling the Jews futilely that he came from heaven, he came from the Father, I and the Father are one? Well, if you believe that, that you've overcome the world. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. Okay. But again, yes, have we overcome the world? Yes, but the world still exists. The world still exists. You see, it's a, in a sense, it's that Jesus Christ has won the strategic victory. Okay, he has made it possible for us to live a- apart from the things of this world, apart from the lusts of this world, apart from the thinking of this world, but the world is still there. You know, it's as if it's as if there was a military victory, okay, but there were still soldiers on the battlefield and soldiers here and there. Right? The enemy, though defeated strategically, is still trying to fight. See, Satan's been defeated, but he's still trying to get an advantage, trying to do whatever he can to ruin things for us because he hates us as believers in Christ. We're in, we're in union with Christ. The world still exists, but here's the thing to remind ourselves of. It was judged once and for all at the cross. That's who you are. 
So much of the of the New Testament is getting believers to understand who they are. It's a simple statement, but it's a profound thing, and it's all over the epistles of the New Testament. This is who you really are. Okay, you have to keep reminding yourselves. You have to keep the word in Romans six is a reckoning. This is who you are, but you have to consider it so and count it as true for yourself. You've overcome the world, but you have to count yourself as one of those who has done so. That makes all the difference. And of course, that is simply a matter of faith. It's simply a matter of taking God as his word. It's that simple. You know, I think that's why Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, right, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Well, because you see, children, they hear something, right, hopefully from an authority that is genuine, that they simply believe it. Don't they? Right? They do. Okay, that's how we are to become with the word of God, with the truths of the word of God. See, when we do that with gratitude, now we have an insulation against the lies of the world. If we start trying to figure things out ourselves, how does this relate to that in the world? And we're not we're taking ourselves out of the protection. It's important to understand that. The world still exists, but it was judged once and for all at the cross. Okay, back to our passage again in John chapter 12, verse 31. We're going to continue now. The first thing, the world has been judged. Now we're moving to the second event at the cross. Look at John chapter 12, verse 31. John 12, verse 31. And there's that word again. What, how does verse 31 start? What's the first verse? Verse word. Now. Now. Right? That, that, that's a grace word. You know what it is for us? Now is 2,000 years ago. It is finished. Right? We don't have to do anything. It's been done. Right? Notice. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. What a joyful thing to know, isn't it? Because so many people live in fear of what, what, is, what is Satan going to do to me next? Nothing, unless you let him. Nothing. He's been cast out. We're going to see him. That means all his power and authority. Right? Not all, but his, his authority for sure. And his power to be able to totally dominate the human race. I put it that way because people can still decide to stay in the darkness. We can still listen Right. We're no longer slaves to sin. Right. We've been freed up from it. But, you know, the slave owner is still saying, hey, you know, I got something for you. Don't be listening to that new guy. Right. So it's still still listening, still listening to the old voices. The chains are still rattling in our head, so to speak. All right. Now, judgment is upon this world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now, the decisive hour when Christ went to the cross, the ruler of this world. Satan, the devil, was cast out for all time. Christ has already won the strategic victory over Satan and the powers of darkness. Now, you probably have guessed by now because I pretty much said it a few times. But so you understand, power and authority. We're going to see a passage two, two, I think, that is going to show this exactly and say that exactly, that at the cross, the ruler of this world, Satan had a bit, was stripped of power and stripped of authority. He doesn't have authority over you as a believer in Christ, period. Is he going to try to convince you that he does? Yeah. Well, how does he do that? By telling the truth? No, by lying to us. 
because he doesn't have any authority over us. But he'd like to convince us that he does. See, that's how this, that's how it works. He's still around and he's still allowed to do that. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 24. One of the powers that Satan had before Christ died on the cross, and it was a, it was a great power. I'm saying this in a negative way, but it was a strong, strong power. And namely, the power of death. He had he had control over the power of death. Think about that. Just like he had control over this world. He would say to Jesus when he was tempting Jesus that, you know what? All you got to do is bow before me and I can give you all the kingdoms of this world. Why? Because he had he had the authority to do that before Christ went to the cross. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. Notice. Therefore, since the children, that's you and I, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus Christ, also partook of the same. He partook of flesh and blood. God, man, became human. Notice this, that through death, he died. This is why. This is how the world is deceived about Christ. Right? The world thought that they had a victory over Christ when he died on the cross. But they didn't understand that actually the reverse was true. His death brings life. That through his death, notice, he might render powerless. What does that say? Render powerless. What does that mean? It means that Satan had power and Jesus took it away from him at the cross. Render powerless him who had. What kind of word is that, do you think? Come on. It's a grace word. It used to have it, but he doesn't anymore. Him who had the power of death. That is the devil. See, death used to have a sting. That was its power. But it no longer has that for believers in Christ. That's the key to understand. His power source has been turned off. Now, can we still live like he still has the power? Absolutely. Can we still be in fear of death? Absolutely. Do we need to be? No. How do we overcome the fear of death? By hearing the truth that Satan has lost the power of death. By knowing that, 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 that mature love... See, see, the antidote to the fear of death is the love of God for us, right? Yeah, how will he not give us every good thing? Right? Death is a, is, a, is, a, is a valley that we pass through. In fact, death, death itself is, is wonderful. You might say, this guy has lost his mind. But I haven't really. If I have, I've done it for God, like, like Paul said. The out of my mind is for God. If I'm saying it's for you, I love that passage. But what, what, what am I saying? I'm saying that, think about it. Now, the events leading up to our death are not usually very nice, right? I mean, some people are lucky and, and they just die in their sleep. But a lot of people have to suffer and so forth and so on. And, and, and the before death, of course, we have, those, we have those relationships with people and we can grieve and they're grieving. But you know what? The moment of death is a wonderful thing. Why? Because all that's behind there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. So it's done. And now we can step into this glorious relationship face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing to fear about death itself when you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Why? At the cross, Jesus rendered powerless him who had, used to have, for us anyway, the power of death. That is, the devil, and notice, might free freedom. This is what happened at the cross. He set us free from sin. From, from the power of death, from the law, he might free those who, have, who through fear 
of, of death were subject. What's that? Were. Simple word. What kind of word is that this morning? It's a grace word. We used to be. We were subject to slavery all of their lives. In other words, at the cross, there was a momentous transfer of power and authority from Satan to Christ. I picture, I don't know why, I love American history, but I picture the moment at Yorktown, right, when, when uh, who, was the, who was the general at Yorktown, the British Cornwallis, when Cornwallis put the white flag up and he went out and he took his sword and he gave it to George Washington's assistant. What happened that moment? Power transfer. Right, Britain had the power over the colonies. Now it was transferred. But that's nothing compared to what happened at the cross. There was an incredible transfer of power and authority from Satan to Christ. It's why, by the way, I, I never capitalize Satan's word. I, I, just, I don't. Right? I, I probably, probably this doesn't mean anything to anybody. Oh, it means something to me. Why? Because he's been stripped of his authority in any event from Satan to Christ. Okay, let's let's see another passage that talks about this disarming, this taking away power. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Guess what we're going to see once again at the very beginning of verse 13. It's seeing it a lot today. It's a word. It's just one word. But what is it going to be? Word. The grace word. Come on, people. Right. Were. When you were dead in your tra- transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That says the same thing we saw in Ephesians chapter, th- chapter 2. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, God, made you alive Together with him, Christ, freedom, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Did he forgive a few? Did he say, I've forgiven these, but I won't forgive those until you do something else for me? No. Having forgiven all our transgressions. That's another all-encompassing thing that happened at the cross. Verse 14, having canceled out. This is, it is finished. Done. Having canceled out the certificate of debt. There was a certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. This is the law. The law was hostile to us. It said, if you don't do this, there'll be punishment, including death in many cases. Right. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was what kind of word was was the grace word. I'll get you all saying it by the end of class today was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way. God the Father took away the certificate of debt. He nailed it to the cross. That is a very graphic description of what happened, so you can't forget it. Nailed it to the cross. We are no longer under the the curse of the law. Verse 15. Here's the key for the power transfer. When he had disarmed. What does that say? It's already happened. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made public display of them, having triumphed over them, God the Father, through Christ. So in other words, Christ didn't didn't just have victory over the world, he also conquered the angelic forces of evil. They have had their day, and and their day has, has been 
the victory has over his over their, their their domination has occurred. The father noticed, disarmed them. They still exist, but they were, as it were, declawed. Right, their, their power was taken away. Right, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, and now we come in the scene. Do the rulers and authorities still exist? Exist. Yeah, we're going to see a passage in a minute that makes that perfectly clear. However, for us, believers in Christ, we can resist them. This is the key. We can resist them, right? Firm in our faith, Peter says. It's always a matter of faith, always a matter of believing the things that Christ has accomplished for us. But by doing that, we can resist him. Ephesians 10 calls it what? Putting on the armor of God. Every believer in Christ, he's already made the armor, just put it on. Because that armor was forged at Calvary. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Book of Ephesians, simply... If you want to think of a simple outline, it's remember, sit, walk, and stand. It's that simple. Sit and know who you are. Walk so you live according to who you are. And also understand that you have enemies, but by the power of God, you can resist them and have 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 victory in your daily lives, just like you've had the strategic victory at the cross. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong. Where? How? In the Lord, in the strength of his might. Right. He demonstrated that might over the forces of evil at the cross. It, he has he's given it to us. The omnipotence of God is available to us, you know, not to wipe out planets, not to wipe out enemies, but to resist the worst enemy we have, which is the powers of the air. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, here they are, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, darkness. Jesus is going to talk about the darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. But remember, what is the armor of God? It's the helmet of what? Salvation. Did we earn our own salvation? No. Right. What is the belt? The belt of truth. Right. It's so in other words, it's all things that are, are, are available to us because of Jesus Christ. Really. Right. He's our salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And so on. you could go through all six of the armor and you'll see it's never about us. It's always about what God has accomplished through Christ. Truth, salvation, faith. That's the basics of the armor, the gospel, shield of faith, and so forth. Now, here's the amazing principle that I want you to understand today also. See, there, this is a, two verses, but it's a, well, look at all the amazing principles and things that, to, that are to be learned from those two verses in John 12. As Christ is, so also is every believer in Christ. As he is, so also are we in this world, John says in 1 John. That's an amazing statement, but it's true. I want you to see how true it is. Please go to John chapter 17, verse 14. 
John chapter 17, verse 14. As Christ is, so also is every believer in Christ. Look at John 17, verse 14. Christ rendered powerless the power of death that Satan used to have. And it's the powers of darkness. Look at John 7. Why? Because as Christ is, so also is every believer in Christ. John 17, 14. I have, this is Jesus now talking to his father. 17, chapter 70. I have given them your word. Notice the key. And the world has hated them. Notice there's the world. What is it? The enemy of God, hostile to God, hostile to God's people. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Notice that here we have it again. The world and the evil one, both conquered by Christ and the cross. As a result, every believer in Christ has already overcome the evil one. Overcome. You're already overcomer. Already overcome the world. You've already even overcome the evil one himself. I want you to think about that. What's the key, though? Believing that it's true, crediting it as true, reckoning it as true, because that makes all the difference. It's simply a matter of faith. This is the victory that has overcome our faith. What does that mean? By believing the things that God has told us, that's where we have the victory every day of our lives. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. We are still on the second of the four things that happened at the cross. Two verses, but man, full of power and wonder and meaning. You know what that means, though? It means when we come back next week, guess what we're going to be back in? John 12 to 12, verse 31 to 32. Why? Because there's two more great events that we have to, we have to learn and understand. First John chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children. One of the one of the basic, fundamental, simple things that that even a new believer needs to believe and understand right away is what, because your sins, what, have been forgiven. What kind of a word is have been? Two words. A grace word. Did you have to do anything? No. They've already been what? Forgiven. Do you believe that? Do you believe your sins have already been forgiven? Every one of them. Okay, do you believe you have to do something in order for sins to be forgiven? No. Okay. I am writing to this little you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Why? Anything good about you? Did God take a look at you and say, you know what? Now I can forgive his sins. Because look what he did. He's a nice kid. He's been helping old ladies across the street and going to church every Sunday. You know, I don't think I'll forgive him. No, for his name's sake. We're seeing that, by the way, in the book of Isaiah, the same thing. All the things that God comes to do to deliver his people was for his own name. Same is true for us. He's forgiven us our sins for his name's sake. Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers. These are the mature believers because you know him 
who has been from the beginning, Jesus. I am writing to you. Notice who he's writing to you. Young men. Why? Because you have what? Overcome. Does it say you might overcome? Does it say Jesus overcome the evil one? Now it's your turn to go out there and do battle against him. And then you will someday. What does it say? Grace word. What's the grace word here? Have. Have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the father. I have written to you fathers because you know him was been from the beginning. Yeah, John repeats. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. You have done it. And the word of God in your soul, okay, is your token as it were. It is where you turn to, to, to again and again remind yourselves of this truth. All right. At this point, we are going to stop and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Next week, we'll be back in John chapter 12, verse 32, when Jesus talks about the third and the fourth events that are about to occur. And when he says now, he's going to talk about being lifted up from the earth and then drawing all men to himself. Let's close in prayer and prepare for the Lord's Supper today. Father, we just want to come come to you and marvel at all that you accomplished through your son at the cross. It's so appropriate that we would be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning when we bring into remembrance his death and proclaim his death to the world. Well, Father, today we would ask that the Holy Spirit would help us to make this more meaningful to our hearts so that based on what we now know about the victories that Jesus won on the cross. It will empower us as we believe that truth to be true about us, empower us to be more bold in our proclamation of the gospel. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. At this time, let's prepare the Lord's Supper by preparing the communion elements. I cling, make it come to me for.
Colossians 1, verse 19 and 20, we read this. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Heaven and earth themselves were reconciled by the blood of Christ's cross. The Father has removed every impediment to saving us and saving all people by the sacrifice of his Son. It continues in verse 21 and 22 of Colossians 1. And though you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. At the cross, the father judged sin in in the flesh of his son. He judged the world. He cast out the one who had the power of death. He took away the hostility of the commands of the law. And now there is no impediment for any human being because of the sacrifice of Christ, his son of God. There's no impediment for anybody to be saved. And as believers... We have already been reconciled to God through the death of his son. And because of that, the father has called each and every one of us to be his ambassadors, to be his ambassadors. In other words, we get to bring the good news of what happened at the cross to other people. We get to bring the good news of reconciliation. There's no barrier now for any human being to be reconciled to God. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 to 21, now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, believers, the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world, the world, all people, including unbelievers, because we all started out as unbelievers. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So in other words, even people's sins are not a barrier to them being reconciled to God because God has not counted them against them. That's the unbelievers. He hasn't counted their trespasses against them either. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation to us. What a privilege. What a gracious thing for him to do. We were back there and now we're here by his grace. And now we have the privilege 
of preaching the gospel to others. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us now. We beg you on behalf of Christ. This is us now to the world, to unbelievers, to our friends who are unbelievers, to the people we meet. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here's the good news. He, he made him, God the Father made Christ who knew no sin, sinless, to be sin, sin offering on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we eat the bread and we drink the cup, by these very acts, we proclaim the death of the Lord. That's the significance of what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper every month. By taking the bread and eating it, by taking the cup and drinking it, it that in itself proclaims the death of the Lord. But of course, we need to reckon it. We need to reckon itself. We need to know that. We need to believe that. Because only then will what we're proclaiming now be going out to other people because we know it's true in our hearts. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Every one of us now should take every opportunity we have to beg unbelievers in our life to be reconciled to God. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We need to be remembering. We need to reflect. We need to keep in mind. We need to continue to go to the word over and over again to be reminded of the great truths of the cross. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. You, you and I proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, (laughs) we love you and we love that you have given us your son. And we love that you strengthen us through your word and that the purpose of that is so that we can be presented holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That we are to live knowing that we, by your power, can live out the righteousness of what was in the law to begin with and go way beyond it and that that matters to you. And one of the ways in which we live now in the truth of what happened at the cross is to proclaim it to the unbeliever. So help us to extend what we've done together by celebrating the Lord's Supper into our daily lives with the boldness of having the truth that sets people free. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, By the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. One more grace statement. Not only do we have service on Sunday, guess what we also have? Bible study on Thursday, 630. I hope you all can make it one way or the other, either in person or on Skype. All right.